the word, and I will lead. And then after that, Randy, uh, I'll pray, and then you can come, okay? So Psalm 3, Psalm 3, and uh, in your Bibles, or you can look up at the screen as we read it here together. Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You're a blessing to be on your people. Lord, help us today as we allow your word to fashion, to shape us, to be more conformed to the image of your Son. I ask, Lord, that we would be humble and teachable, and, Lord, that you would have freedom to have your way with us. Lord, I ask that you would empower Randy, allow his words, Lord, to be your words, Lord. Allow him to be a mouthpiece for this um, Holy Spirit-empowered text, Lord. Would you now be glorified in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. It is uh, certainly a privilege to be with you folks today. I, I really do count it an honor uh, to be able to stand before you and bring God's Word this morning. And uh, I appreciate uh, so much uh, Rod's invitation. And I just want to say this. Thank you so much uh, for the investment that really you've really made in my life already. To be able to come and attend the conference, I was able to get to know some of your men, uh, which has really been a blessing to me already. And feel like I've already developed some relationships and friendships there. And so thank you so much for that. And thank you also as we look forward uh, to Bolivia as well. And very excited about what the Lord uh, has planned for us there. I've never been able to do that before. I've never had the privilege of being able to, to go to a foreign country. I, I went back, excuse me, in 08 and to Costa Rica, but not to do what we're going to be doing in Bolivia. And uh, it, it's far different in that regard. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having the vision uh, to be able to take a task on such as that. And we just want to go and we want to encourage and we want to be a blessing uh, to, to the pastors there and to God's people there as well. And uh, I appreciate Rod uh, so much uh, and his friendship. And folks, I'll just say this very openly and honestly, you have a wonderful pastor and I think you probably already realize that. But uh, a, a man who's committed to God's word, he's committed to the gospel and uh, just the vision that he has. And I, I am so uh, excited for you. I'm excited for your church. It's, it's just awesome to see the people that are here this morning uh, and, and just what the Lord has for you uh, in this area. But, but Rod is a, a definite, definitely a dear friend of mine, uh, one of my closest friends, I would honestly have to say. And uh, he's always been a, a guy I can lean on and can call and and be very transparent with, and just a great source of encouragement as brothers together in the ministry. So I thank the Lord for Rod uh, and his life and his, his friendship and our relationship together. And uh, I, I just, uh, I'm dreading going back to Michigan. 
you have such wonderful weather here. <clears throat> and uh, you might think it's cold here. It's not cold here, okay? I was talking to my wife this past week. There's like four or five inches of snow they got on Thursday night. And yeah, all right. We'll be heading back there tomorrow. But anyhow, it's good to be here in California this week. Let me tell you, it's been a blessing. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray again, ask God's blessing on His Word this morning, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us, shall we? Father in Heaven, thank You again so much for the wonderful and awesome privilege that we have to break open Your Word this morning. Words that are life, words that are truth, words that are life-changing and effective and powerful for everything that goes on in our lives. You give us everything that pertains to, to godliness. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to the truths of your law once again. Lord, we need your help to be able to see that which you have for us. And, Lord, that we would not walk away from here unaffected by it, but, Lord, that we would be indeed a changed people, a people that would be more conformed to the image of your Son, a people that would glorify you greater. And I thank you, Lord, for these folks here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for their commitment to your word. I thank you, Lord, for the vision that they have for this area, the Bay Area, and reaching folks for you and, and your glory. So we pray now that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would help our hearts and minds be focused on you now and not distracted by anything else. In Christ's name, amen. Chuck Swindoll wrote these words. He said this, Every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. How do you feel about that statement this morning? As you hear those words, and I know maybe it's a lot to digest at the moment, but, but how do you feel about that statement? Would you agree or would you disagree with what, what Chuck is saying here? And at first glance, we would probably say, yes, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, but when we are actually faced with adversity, and we're actually faced with, with problems in our lives, how much then do we view them as an actual opportunity to prove God's power? Or do we find ourselves struggling with the matter? Do we find ourselves not bringing our trials and our adversities to the Lord and trusting in His power to handle it for us in our lives. And what I mean by this is this. Do we respond spiritually by immediately placing our focus on God rather than the trial? Or do we simply try to fix things ourselves? Or, or do we become very bitter and, and we get angry and, and then we allow a, a very sinful heart to defeat us instead of actually growing through that trial in our lives? And I'll be honest with you, uh, most of us probably would respond with our flesh first and then, and then God willing, the, the Spirit to take control uh, in a very short amount of time or, or maybe not even at all. And in this psalm before you today, we see David in great distress. And the reason why he is in great distress is because his son Absalom has won over the hearts of many people to the point that he was going to overpower his father and he was going to take over the kingdom. And by the way, I'll just say this, this is actually a fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy when he rebuked David for his sin of adultery and murder 
in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And so now we're seeing this kind of take place in his life, the consequences. And we're seeing this come to fruition in David's life. And so David gets wind of his son's plan. He flees quickly with his household and, and with some 600 men, and he, he fled for the wilderness because he didn't want to ruin Jerusalem with war. And he thought that if he could go to the countryside, that, that maybe he could gain among uh, those some more support. Can you imagine what must have been going through David's mind? I mean, he's, he's governing as usual. He, he's doing his thing as he always has done. And all of a sudden, without warning, adversity comes knocking on his door unexpected. And you know what? That is also very true of your life and my life as well. It happens all the time. And I don't think most of us go out of our way to, to seek adversity. We don't, we don't really go out of our way to, to seek problems in our lives or, or distress in our lives. We can be going along just fine and everything seems to be good. And all of a sudden, we're faced with this major trial in our life. And the question is again, how do we act? Or should I say maybe how we react to adversity? And I hope if you're sitting here this morning and, and you know that you're a child of God, that you, will, that you would say very quickly, I will take this matter to the Lord. I, I will let Him handle this for me, realizing He is a sovereign God, that there is absolutely nothing that He does not already know. There is nothing that He cannot do. And I would say to you this morning, that's a, that's a great answer. But again, I think most of us here today would honestly have to say, that that's not always our initial response. And so how do we respond to adversities in our life? What is the biblical way for us to handle distresses in our life? How do we go about it? And I, I think we learn some valuable insight from David as, as what we are to do so that we do not stress in, in, in distress. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I, I want us to look at four ways to handle our adversities in a very God-glorifying manner. And notice, when we go through these, each one of these calls on us not to focus on the problem. It is actually not to focus on ourselves, but it is to focus on God and His power in our lives. And so in verses 1 and 2, the first thing I believe that, that we must do if we're going to handle adversities in our life in a very God-glorifying manner is to plead with God in prayer. As I mentioned, we, we find David in a very difficult situation. All seemed hopeless for him and for the kingdom. And his very own son, with his army, are coming hard after him to, to kill him. And notice what David says in verses 1 and 2. In fact, let, let's just read that again. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. He pleads and pours his heart out to God. And, and one of the things, I, I'm a lover of the Psalms, I'll just tell you, I, I love them. In fact, I would just say this to you, just to encourage you this morning, that as we're talking about trials and adversity in our lives, I, I would encourage you to, to go to the Psalms. That's what I do. I find a lot of help there. 
But one of the things that encourages me so much about David is that, that David is so open. He is, he is so honest with God. We don't find him being irreverent, but always transparent by letting God know how he feels. It's not that God doesn't know that already, but, but he's able to pour his heart out before God. And, and, and that ought to be the same way for you and I. And we might not be in a situation exactly like David where we're getting ready to go into battle against our son, but, but we do wake up with sometimes all kinds of adversity in our lives. And in fact, you, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, Pastor, I, really, yeah, I don't really have a lot of adversity in my life right now. I mean, there's not really a lot of trials going on in my life right now, but let me remind you of something. You always have your greatest adversary, the devil. You always have Satan who is like a roaring lion seeking to destroy you and at any opportunity that he, that he possibly can against you and your family. So not only do we face him as, as our greatest foe, as the evil one, but every day we also have other distresses in our lives that, that should lead us and help us to realize how much we desperately need God and how desperately that we need to bring all of our cares to Him. It might be any of these distresses in your life. It, it might be your work environment. When you go to work, it, it, it may seem like absolute warfare every day. The conditions are, are cutthroat. Sometimes everyone, it seems like, is, is out for themselves. There's, there's rumors, there's gossip, there's lying. And, and you may not be facing thousands of enemies that are coming after you to kill you, but it can only take one person maybe to make your life miserable sometimes. You may not have to worry about being attacked by soldiers either, but you might have a rebellious son or daughter that absolutely hates everything that you stand for and hates you because of it. It might even be your spouse whom you thought was faithful to you in your marriage and, and loyal to your marriage, but, but you found out that they've become an enemy against you and they've become unfaithful to you. It might be your health. It, it, it might be the difficulty of just making ends meet each and every day. And it might even be like David, that the, you have those who mock you and, and they say to you that, that your God is not going to deliver you. And why do you even bother trusting in Him? Why do you even waste your time going to church? Why do you waste your time praying? And, and that's a terrible place to be in your life. But I want you to think about this horrific place that David is in at this time in his life. I want you to think about the adversities that you might be facing in your life. And I want you to ask yourself the question that I've been asking since the beginning, how are you handling it? What are you doing to get victory? What are you doing to live by God's grace as you endure? And, and David really helps us here a lot. He helps us to realize a couple things that, that you and I are able to do to to draw near to God that when we are struggling and, and we're going through suffering in our lives and, and there seems to be very little hope, I want you to notice he obviously focuses on his foes at first. He focuses on their mocking and then we see him draw near 
to God in his trouble. And even though he must have been fearful, and even though he must be full of apprehension, he becomes resolved and he brings it to the Lord. He pours his heart out before God to deliver him. And so when we're up against the wall, so to speak, and and life is coming at us hard, we too, I want to encourage you, you need to come to God in openness, and you need to come to God in honesty. Not allowing ourselves to become bitter. Not allowing ourselves to become angry or secluded and complaining and and simply trying to to see if I can just muster up enough strength, I I can fix this problem on my own. I know I can do it. You know, it's kind of like, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, but you can't do it. But instead that we run to the Lord, that we, we lay our burdens at His feet, and and we lay them there, especially when all that we can see at the time is the adversity and not our God. So it's the first step, I think. If we're going to overcome any trial or if we're going to overcome any difficult situation in our life, let me remind you of something that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6-11. He writes these words, and I think they're so very helpful for us today. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And I love this verse, verse number 7, that says, Casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, when we choose to handle our adversity any other way than pleading with God in prayer over it, I do believe that we open ourselves up to the enemy who is ready to devour you and your faith in God. And I want to encourage you, as Peter does, resist him. Remain unmovable by, by bringing it to your Father who, who knows you, the, the Father who loves you and, and who will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He'll establish you. And that's exactly, I, I believe, what David is doing here. His distress drives him into the arms of God. I want you to notice in verses 3 through 4, we really kind of almost see a turning point take place in David's life and his situation here. As I mentioned, he's initially focused on his enemies, and now he turns his sights on God, which which really produces an unshakable confidence in his Lord. And and so the, the second way that we handle adversities in our life is to be confident in God's promises. God gives us promises throughout His entire Word. And in verse 3, we see the promise of His sustaining power. We we see some incredible promises that that David pens for us here, that we will will turn our hearts toward God, uh, that are are there for us, rather than obsessing over our difficulties. And when a believer chooses to stress out over the forces that are against him, it begins to grow, doesn't it? It begins to become very overwhelming at times. And it is when we fix our gaze upon God that 
that our adversities in life begin to dwindle. Why? Because they're in comparison to a great, powerful, sovereign God that we serve. As I thought about this, I thought about the ten and two spies uh, going out into Canaan and spying out the land for the first time. And you probably know that story very well. But when the ten spies came back, they they give their reports of their findings, and, and of course they're overwhelmed with the strength and the magnitude of the Canaanites, they come back and they say, hey, there's, you know what, there's, there's giants in the land. And, and what are we to do? They're, they're too big and, and, and they're too strong. And, and in fact, we almost seem like grasshoppers comparable to, to this enemy. I mean, we're, they're, they're huge. But in that story, there were two, weren't there? Joshua and there was Caleb. They came back and, and gave a totally different report. Let me ask you, what do you think made the difference between those two reports? Did they, did they see things that were different? No. Same land. It was uh, the same giants. Everything was the same, but the difference was their perspective, wasn't it? It made all the difference in the world because the difference was their focus and faith. The ten had a, uh, what I would call a, a ground level view. Very, very focused, horizontally, only saw the giants and, and, and could not see their God. They, they forgot about the God who time after time had done miracle after miracle for them. And yet then we see Joshua and Caleb a, a different perspective. We see, we see a heavenly perspective. They see it from, from above. They're, they're vertically focused on God. They draw upon His past and His, His proven faithfulness in their lives and, and, it, and it builds their own faith and, and strength for the future to, to go in and to possess the land. Let me, let me remind you, the same can be true for you and I. And what I might mean by that is this. So many times... I'm afraid that we forget so very quickly what God has done for us in the past. We have forgotten about His, His faithfulness to us and all the many blessings that He's poured out in our lives and what He's done, done in and through our lives and that we, we have this ground-level view that comes into play when adversity comes into our life. We, all we can see is the giant, so to speak, because we're focused this way. I'd encourage you to change your perspective. Change your perspective, as David does here, to an all-powerful God. Even while his foes were gathering themselves against him, coming after him. I want you to see that, that David recalls three aspects of God's sustaining power. And I think these are great things for us to remember as we're we're going through troubles in our lives as well. First of all, he mentions it in verse number three, and, or excuse me, verse number three. He sustains us with his protection. But you, O Lord, are a shield. He has protected us. He has provided for us. So let me ask you a question: What makes you think that whatever trial you may be going through in your own life now, that that he's going to fail you now? I love Isaiah 35, 4. It says this, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and He will save you. Secondly, he mentions he sustains us with his glory in that verse. God is always our glory. We're always to glorify him in all that we do. And even though the crown, as you know, had fallen off, David said, God will not think the worst. Why? Because God is his glory. Our lives lived ought to be about the glory of God. We're told that in Scripture. That His glory would be fulfilled in our lives. That, that you and I, that we would live each and every day in the awe of His glory. Isaiah 60, 19 says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor your brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. And then also in that same verse, he sustains us with his joy. Some of you parents know this very well. When you've had to discipline your child, especially when they're younger and they're sobbing in your presence because you've had to discipline them. And understandably, that child many times, as you know, as I know well as a parent, is so sad (laughs) and downhearted. And oftentimes will put their heads down until you encourage them and and you come along and you lift their heads up again to look at you, even though you've had to discipline them. And David makes a very important point here about God. It is though the Lord is saying to David, he says, look, I, I had to deal with you severely, and yet he is the lifter of David's head. He lifts his head. David doesn't have to go around day after day, week after week, staring at the ground, unable to raise his eyes. No, the Lord has lifted his head and said to him, you know what, David, you are still mine. David, you can, so to speak, pick up the pieces and go on again. You can live in my presence because I have not cast you off. I I think... For me personally, out of this entire psalm, that is one of the most precious things that I see in this psalm, that God is the lifter of His people's heads. That He is there for us. Even though we may be severely beaten down with, with all kinds of adversity in our lives, God will always faithfully lift us up. We can always lift our head with joy. Why? Because we know God works all things for our good and His glory, right? We know that's true. That He alone is the lifter of our head, which gives us great, great reason to rejoice. Psalm 27, 5 and following says this, For He will hide me in His his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. By the way, another Psalm of David. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent, listen to what He says, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So not only do we have this promise of sustaining power, but we also have this promise of answered prayer. We see that in verse number 4. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. David sings, and he he praises the faithfulness of God to answer him, and, and when he cries out to him. He wants us to realize 
the goodness of God even in our sufferings. Do you believe that this morning? That God is still good even in your adversity? David understands that. David understands that God always answers prayer. It's, it, it may not always be the way we want it. It may not always be the, the way we like it. But he's always faithful to respond. Spurgeon, whom I love dearly, writes these words. He says, we need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer-hearing God. You see, if our stress and struggles drive us to our knees, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. And it doesn't just get us actually, I think, just not only to talk to God, but, but it encourages us to, to cry out to God with passion and draw near to Him and, and trust Him as we should. You say, why? God hears and God answers. That's why. And He says He answers from on heaven. And listen, there is nothing that can separate us from His love and His care for us. So, so I want to encourage you this morning. No matter how dark the place may be, or despair that you may be in in your life right now, God will always hear and answer the cries of your heart. You can always rest in that. You can always be encouraged by that. Peter again writes in 1 Peter 3.12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Then thirdly, the third way we handle adversity in a God-glorifying manner is this. It's found in verses 5 and 6, and, and I find this incredibly encouraging, is, and that is to rest in God's peace. Rest in God's peace. If you notice there in verses 5 and 6, there's two things that he mentions that are reflective of how the peace of God rested in his soul. Look in verse number 5, if you would, with me. Look what it says. I lay down and slept. I don't know about you, I value sleep greatly. I, I, I really, especially this week. <laughs> it's been busy. Poor Rod, I've had to cut out on him a few times this week early, Rod and Ellie, and I gotta go to bed, guys. I'm tired. But I enjoy sleeping when I can. But David sleeps. Isn't that amazing to you a little bit? That, that here he's being pursued by his son to, to kill him and destroy him. And this guy goes to sleep. A sure sign of his confidence, I think, in the peace that he has that he mentions this sleeping. Now remember, it, he's not out, you know, on a sleep-by-number bed. You know? He's not on a pillow-top mattress. He doesn't have his head probably most likely on a soft pillow on the ground. He's in the wilderness, and he's sleeping on the ground. You know, sleep is a gift of God's grace, isn't it? It, it really is. It's a reminder that we are, we are not self-sufficient, but we are absolutely dependent upon God. And yet we're reminded also in Scripture that God never sleeps. And I think it's awesome to see, even though his son was pursuing him and, and, and trying to dethrone him and kill him, he remains at peace, trusting in God, and guess what? In exchange... God gives him grace to rest well. It's a beautiful thing. The confidence that he has really manifests itself, though, even in the next morning. I awoke again for the Lord to sustain me after a good night's rest. 
He went to bed trusting God, and guess what? He wakes up trusting God. Not fearful of the ten thousands that are against him. And I say, you know, what a blessed challenge that is to us, isn't it, this morning? To know that we can rest well, no matter what circumstances may be going on in your life and, and in my life, but that if we will trust God and realize that, you know what, my God holds everything in his hands. He's sovereign. He's in control. He loves me. I'm his child. I belong to him. But I have to ask you this question. Do you toss with worry? I have, I'll be honest, many nights. But do you also know that, Dave, that as David, your God is your shield and he's your deliverer? David didn't worry. He fully trusted God, and as a result, guess what? He was blessed to rest peacefully in his care. As I said, the confidence David had the next morning was his fearlessness of man, and that's the second thing we see. His peace came from the fact that he knew there was nothing that a man, man could do to him outside the will of God. He was fearless. And as he begins to place his armor on, he's, he's fully confident that God would see him through this troubling time. And, and remember, he drew his strength in faith and trust in God from past experiences of God's faithfulness to him. You say, well, where do you see that? 1 Samuel 17, 26-50. Remember the story of David and Goliath. This trial that David was going through with Absalom really is nothing new for him. David has faced adversity before, but I want to remind you a couple of points about that story. Some things to remember that, that David clung to from God's past uh, uh, faithfulness to him. Do you remember when he faced Goliath? He remembered God's providence. Even though Saul and anyone else didn't think David had a chance he recalls what the Lord enabled him to do when he killed a lion and a bear without weapons or any armor. He remembered that. In other words, his knowledge of how God worked in, the, in his life in the past gave him faith for the future. And David's focus was right where it needed to be. Guess where it was? On his God. On his God. When he faced Goliath, he exercised a relentless faith. David knew the victory of the lion and the bear was not his own. And if he had focused on himself, which, you know what, many times we do, if he had focused on his weapons, when he faced Goliath, there would be no hope. <laughs> He'd run, for sure. I'm out of here. I can't win this. But you know what? David's faith saw more than that. David's faith did not see a giant. David's faith was set on Elohim the strong one. His faith was set on Yahweh, the self-existing one. His faith was, was set on the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. It was his God who is a million times bigger and stronger than that giant that he faced. And how many times have you and I looked at the adversity in our lives, the, the problems we, we go through, and we have said to ourselves, you know what, this is impossible. And many times it is impossible from our perspective. But I want to ask you something. Where is your relentless faith gone? Where is it gone? Because I'm afraid so many times we trust more in our own abilities. We, we trust in our own knowledge. 
We trust in our own strength rather than trusting God in our trials. And, And my friends, it is in these times in life that we must remember that with God, let me remind you of something, all things are possible, right? Do you believe that? We say we believe that. We, we, we can put on the face and, and do everything right and, and say, yeah, I believe that. But do you believe that or not? Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 32, 17, he says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Listen to what he says. Nothing is too hard for you. Luke 18, 27, but he, Jesus speaking, said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. We can experience that, that, I believe, that same kind of fearlessness in our lives when we are confronted with adversity. God gives us that courage and that strength to face our foes in life, knowing that what? That he's in control. And he's always faithful. So guess what that means? We can't focus on the problems. We can't focus on the foes. We can't focus on ourselves. But, but we must keep a mind that is what? Fixed on the promises and the faithfulness of a powerful God. Isaiah 41.10, familiar verse you probably know very well, says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, this makes me think of the story of Moses at the burning bush. God calls him, you know the story well, calls him to go back to Egypt. And he says, you know, I want you to lead my children out of the land. And we know that story well. Moses was fearful. He's making all kinds of excuses for not doing what God wants him to do. And, and I would say it's kind of like us because we feel that way in adversity too. Where we feel insecure at times. And we can feel very fearful when we're confronted by these things. And when we see this in Moses' life, that, that he is plagued by insecurity and fear. I mean, we see three different kinds. We, we, we see a, a pattern insecurity where he kept on saying to the people, that, or to God, they will not believe in me. They're not going to believe in me. We see this performance insecurity. He felt that he, he was incapable. I, I'm not eloquent enough, Lord. And then we see a personal insecurity. In other words, it was the right plan and direction, but you know what, God? I'm the wrong person for the job. I I can't do this. And I love what God says to him. Moses asked this question. He says, "What, what do I say to the Israelites when they ask, what is the name of him who sent you? God says to Moses these words. He says, I am who I am, and you shall say, I am has sent me. That's power right there. That is powerful. Every time I read that story, I mean, it just bursts with the power of God that that does what? It overshadows the problems and insecurities of man. The God who is the beginning and the end has sent you. And I'll just put it really plain for you. God has your back, so to speak. The Lord I am will fill the gap between your fears and and trials in life for His glory and your good. And He says, I am the Lord. And guess what? I will make a way for you. I'm encouraged always to know that I serve the same God as Moses. That He has never changed and never will change. 
that we don't need to become fearful. We don't need to become panic-stricken. He is I am. He is I am. And we, we, when we put our trust in I am and rest in His promises, guess what? In exchange, He'll bless us with a mind that is at peace and I believe gives us a fearless faith. One last point. The famous words of every preacher. He knew God heard his prayer, and he knew he would meet the need of the cry of his heart out to him. And what we see, the last thing, number four, is that we are to trust in God's provisions. Trust in God's provisions. Verse number seven, we see the provision of vindication. And what I mean by that is this. David uses this incredible cry to the Lord. He says, Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. And you know what that is? That's a a military battle cry. For God, arise and vindicate me. Arise. He knew he could trust in God to once again do what? To deliver him from his enemy. The prayer had been answered. God, as we know the story, caused Absalom to listen to bad advice. And, and failed to defeat his father, who was very vulnerable. And when the battle had finally been engaged, David was able to gain enough strength and be victorious. Look how David describes his vindication. Look what he says in the last part of verse 7. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Wow. <laughs> You've probably broken a tooth or two. Maybe I have. You know how painful that is. 20,000 men along with Absalom have been killed. You see, folks, we don't need to worry about trying to vindicate ourselves when we face adversity. And I'm afraid many times that's what we do, try to do. We must instead turn these distresses over to God and trust Him to take care of us and, or take care of anyone or anything that might stand against us. We're quick to do that, aren't we, though? Man, if I can just get back, you know, it's one of those things. If I could just do this, we try to vindicate ourselves. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will always do, remember this, a better job than we could ever do when we allow Him to do His work in our life. Always. But doesn't it require some patience sometimes? I mean, because we want it now. We want to take care of our... I mean, we just... It's got to happen, right? I mean, it's the kind of world that we live in. We're not patient people most of us. Right now. And many times we can't see for ourselves what God... That God is, excuse me, being faithful to His promises. You know why? Because it's not in our way. It's not according to our time. And so, God, you're not being faithful to me. And we make the mistake of doing what? You know what? I'm going to step in. I, I, I'm going to take control of the situation because we, we, we think to ourselves, you know what? I can do a better job than God can do. I can handle this. Who are we to think that we can resolve or overcome any matter with allowing our sovereign Lord to do His work in our life. Who are we to question that? 
as David knew so well, we must allow the battle to be the Lord's. It is His work. It is, it is His business. And our responsibility is to obey and to trust Him. Then one last thing. We see in verse number 8, and that is the provision of salvation and blessing. I, I love what David writes here of the ultimate deliverance of God. And you might be thinking a lot of different things about this, but I, I believe we can rest assured that this would include the temporal deliverance of adversity as well as the eternal deliverance from sin and hell. I, I really believe that. If God is powerful enough to secure our salvation in Jesus Christ, listen, folks, why, why can't we trust Him to do the same thing for us on a daily basis with trials in our life? I mean, you were snatched from condemnation. You, you were brought into the glorious light of His grace by His sovereign power. So if God has saved you with that kind of great salvation, that kind of power, why should we worry? Why should we become fearful over the troubles of this life? Guess what we must do? We allow our faith in God to be our victory. As David, in his time of adversity, why? God is forever faithful. And his promises are true. I want to close this morning by reading a quote to you from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I believe uh, sums up so well for us God's design and our response and what it should be to uh, our, the trials that we face in this life. I think it's very good. and something I want to leave you with this morning. He says this, Let us not therefore be stumbled, when we see surprising things happen in the world. Rather, let us ask, what is the relevance of this event to the kingdom of God? Or if strange things are happening to you personally, don't complain but say, what is God teaching me through this? What is there in me that, that needs to be corrected? Because sometimes that is the case. Where have I gone wrong and, and why is God allowing these things? He writes, there is meaning in them if we can only see it. We need not become bewildered and doubt the love or the justice of God because that's what we do do many times. If God were unkind enough to answer some of our prayers at once and in our way, we should be very impoverished Christians. Fortunately, God sometimes delays in His answer in order to deal with selfishness or things in our lives which should not be there. He is concerned about us and intends to fit us for a fuller place in His kingdom. We should, therefore, judge every event in the light of God's great, eternal, and glorious purpose. And I say amen and amen to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, Lord, so much for this day. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've been able to glean the truths from your word this morning. And Lord, I know as I stand here before these folks today, I by no means am a, a perfect example of, of the truths that were shared today. Lord, I too desperately need your grace and your help. And I, I just pray, Lord, this morning that, that these truths would sink in deeply within the heart of each person here. They would resonate with them. And, and Lord, that you would teach us and show us that when adversity comes into our life and, and times of suffering come into our lives, that, 
that we immediately ought to draw near to you. Not go to our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, and, and even within ourselves, but God, that we would run to you knowing that you are just and that you are a faithful God. That there is no problem too hard for you. Your arm is not too short. But you know us and you love us and you care for us. God, may we rest in that this morning. In Christ's name, amen.